0: Roger Williams, the godly man that he was, named that city after the work of God in providence. Pastor often mentions it, talking about God's providence. We often talk about God providentially reigning over this world and over history as a matter of fact we were talking just talking about it this morning and in uh, in moldy figs when God gives us a moldy fig or allows a moldy fig into our life why has God abandoned us does he not like us anymore What does it mean in our daily? What does God's providence mean in our daily life? And here's a second question. What is the difference between God's providence and miracles? What's the relationship between the two of them? What's the difference between the two of them? Well, today I want to take a look at God's providence first from a scriptural uh, viewpoint and and a scriptural example, you might say. And then Pastor has asked me to share a testimony um, that uh, the Lord led in our lives, Joni's in my life, uh, resulting in Eric being with us and then then I want to apply this going forward. How do we respond in the light of God's providential care and guidance in our lives? The first thing to understand in in this whole topic, again, is something that we've spoken of already, that God is in absolute control of every event, and circumstance of His creation. And you can really take that to the most minute detail and be accurate. When the Lord said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You mean to tell me there's a serial number written on each one? Well, in effect, yes, that is very literally true. But what does he what, what does that illustration mean? It means that God is in control of and, and is intimately concerned about even the minutest detail of our life. Now, Sometimes. Some people shy away from this truth. They don't like some of the implications that that, that, that leads us, particularly when difficulties come into our life. Can you imagine the, the two families of the car accidents this week? It's horrible. It's horrible. The twins, particularly, they're, from what I understand, they're a Christian family. The twins with their younger sister. How they're they're feeling in their life. How many times have we heard of, and John has uh, mentioned this uh, somewhat, that uh, folks get laid off of their job during the Christmas season. And... uh, Those are tough times. You mean God is in control of this? Well, yes. God creates the light and forms darkness. God creates both evil and good. I, the Lord, am in control of all these things, Isaiah says. You don't want to worship a God whose creation is beyond his scope of control. You don't want to worship a small God, a God that, that created the universe and just sort of threw it out to, to uh, live, to work itself out in, in circumstances. And uh, he says, Oops, I didn't know that was going to happen. God is not man. And while we can't see around corners. God already knows. That's the God that is proclaimed in the word of God. And that's the God that we worship. But the question remains, how does God execute his control over the affairs of his creation? How does he do it? And this is where providence comes in. He does this using morally responsible agents. People and angels who have the ability to choose whether or not they're going to, what they're going to do. There's an array of choices that we all make every single day. And we choose one of them and follow that course. Sometimes it's illustrated this way. When you go on the, on the front of the door, it, the salvation is illustrated this way sometimes. It says on the front of the door, it says, whosoever will may come. And then you walk through the door and you look at the other side and then it says... So, elected from eternity past that's the way god operates through the choices and in a limited sense the free choices that we all make and that angels make sit and ponder that for a while and you you get to understand how contingent everything is on everything else and yet God is in control of the whole. There's no plan B. God is in control of it. Providence, if you want a definition, I'll give you one, providence is God's absolute sovereign control over all the affairs of his creation using mediate means. Sometimes it's, providence has been called the handmaiden of grace because it is always providence that guides God's people to the place where he can infuse his grace into their lives. And the one illustration that I just just last night, or I should say yesterday, read from Spurgeon. Think of uh, Lydia in the city of Philippi. She was the first person to get saved in Europe. But she was a seller of purple, from Thyatira. What was she doing several hundred miles away from her home? God providentially moved her, a Jewess, to this Greek city to maybe as part of her business. But providence, the the handmaiden of grace moved her to where she could hear the gospel and grace opened her heart and she received the Lord. God might choose the activity of angels to accomplish his will in the affairs of this world. Gabriel chose to obey God and deliver the message to Mary that she would Give birth to Messiah. He had a choice. And he chose to obey. God might choose the decisions of people to accomplish his will. On the other end of the spectrum, Judas had a choice, did he? Did he not? He had plenty of opportunities to avoid what he did. And he looked at the Lord and said, Lord, is it I? The Lord said, thou sayest. God will choose events or natural circumstances to work his will. In Luke thirteen four, he mentions on or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Natural circumstances, natural events are under the control of the Lord. When, they were, when the disciples were in the, in the boat on Galilee and, and they, the, there was a storm raging about and they said, Lord, wake up, we perish. How can you perish with the Lord of glory in your boat with an uncompleted task. And he told the wind, shut up. And it did. But miracles are a little bit different. I have one more illustration of God's providence. The worst natural disaster that ever hit the world. Was Noah's flood was under the providence of God. Miracles are a little bit different, though. A miracle is God working directly in the affairs of His creation, changing what we perceive as natural laws. What we perceive as a natural course of events. He disrupts it. He changes it. And he can do it whenever and wherever he chooses to do it. Please never ever think that God doesn't work miracles. He does. Mary, a virgin, conceived a child. Now we know... Science, modern science has proven to us that virgin women do not conceive children. Yet she did. That was God working directly to accomplish his will in the affairs of this world. Not using immediate means, but directly working it. Or Lazarus rising from the dead. Again, modern science has proven that the the dead do not rise. But God overrules natural, what we call natural laws. Okay? How does providence work itself out in other ways? This... Again, I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're all very, very familiar with this passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David which he which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child okay think about what God did in this circumstance go back you don't have to turn there i'll just mention it but first Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 14 God made a covenant with David. This is one of the things that we were just talking about in our Sunday school class. God made a covenant with David so that Messiah had to be a descendant of David. Okay? Israel was looking for the descendant of the kings. But there we ran into a little bit of a problem. The kings of Judah got so bad there at the end after after, uh, Josiah was killed and and his sons were left to uh, have the throne and they basically handed it off one to another. In Jeremiah chapter 22... Jeremiah prophesies and ends up in verse 30 by saying during the reign of Jehoiakim that no man of this seed will ever prosper in the throne of David. Well, here you got a real problem. The eternal king, the descendant of David, but the dynasty of David has been cursed. Cursed. How does God handle that? Well, very easily. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, you see the lineage of Joseph. Joseph goes back through the kingly line. But if you look in Luke chapter 3, you see an altogether different genealogy. Mary's genealogy goes back to David through a different son Nathan God had to put Mary and Joseph who lived in Nazareth together and think about again think about the culture these were not just star-struck teenagers Who did God have to work in to get this marriage together? Mary and Joseph's parents. They were arranged marriages. God worked in and through the parents of Mary and Joseph to move them to arrange this marriage. And again, this is God's providence working in the decisions that people make to bring about what he has declared from eternity past and declared in his word, this is what's going to happen. But there was still a problem, wasn't there? Where did Mary and Joseph live? Nazareth. Where was Messiah to be born, according to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2? Bethlehem. You see God wringing his hands. Oh, no, what am I going to do? No. There, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. God, think of all the governmental officials that had to decide To accomplish this feat. And all the people involved. In this work. Those people who were making those decisions. Had no idea of the bigger plan of God. They were just. Motivated to make decisions based on the circumstances around them. But they didn't know that they were pawns being used of God to fulfill his perfect decreed will. This is how God works day in and day out. Moving people and angels to accomplish his will, even though they haven't a clue or even a care about what God is doing. This work God accomplishes in the lives of his people. Even today. You think God only worked like that during Bible times? No, he's constantly working. Each and every one of us have a testimony of how the Lord brought us to himself. What circumstances in your life Did the Lord use as the handmaiden of grace to put you in a position where he might show his grace on you? And we could all share that. But to illustrate this, the pastor has asked me to share the testimony that God worked in Joni in my life uh, to bring Eric into our family. Joni and I could never have our own children, and so both of our children are adopted. And uh, Eric, although I could, I could share some really wonderful things that God did in the, in the uh, adoption of Joanna... But with Eric, the Lord really did some fantastic things. It's, it's rather obvious; um, he's not our child. Um, he's he's not he's definitely not a wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. He is from a different son of Noah uh we all most of us here descended from uh, uh, Japheth, and uh, Eric descended from ham and his his descendants he is Eric is one hundred percent Mayan Indian. He was born in Guatemala, his uh, father was of the Kekchi tribe, and his mother was from the Pokemchi tribe, and those are names that you're you're probably not really interested in, but he is 100% Mayan Indian. He had tremendous heritage of brilliant people. Who they were the the Mayans were the first established advanced culture in the Western Hemisphere after the flood. Tremendous, tremendous culture. And they they did sort of peter out, but uh, our testimony doesn't quite go back that far. But it actually does go back much further than we ever, uh, than the decision to adopt Eric. There was a, a Spanish reporter who. Don't know the motives, but this reporter did a expose in Brazil of how rich Americans will go to Brazil, adopt Brazilian kids, take them back to the United States, dismember them for, for uh, um, organ transplant and sell their organs and for organ transplant, and this spread throughout all of South and Central America. Uh, when the Brazilian uh, government found out about it, they uh, started to look into it and found out that all her sources were bogus. And she had won Spain's equivalent of a Pulitzer Prize for this particular reporting. But nevertheless, this rumor has spread. In fact, we even bumped into that rumor a couple of times. But in a few years before we were going to adopt Eric, a, an Alaskan woman adopted a uh, Guatemalan child in the town of San Cristobal, Alta Verapaz, which is the very town where Eric was, she was told not to go out into the town with this child, but she did anyway, and the townspeople lynched her. She saw this, they saw this white woman with this Indian child and believing this ugly rumor, lynched her and almost killed her. She was in the hospital for months. After that, the US Embassy in Guatemala declared no adoptions, American adoptions, would ever leave the country before. I should say no American adoptees would ever leave the country before the adoption is finalized. And that was the moldy fig that formed the circumstances of our adoption. Back in, and I'll tie those two ideas together. Back in 1995, Joni and I, you know, we, we had Joanne at the time, but uh, the Lord moved in our heart to adopt a, another child, and we tried this agency and that agency, and nothing worked out. We almost uh, we looked into adopting a couple of Korean children, and that didn't work out. and uh, Joni mentioned this to a Physician that she works with, godly man who loves the Lord. Um, He does regular uh, mission uh, surgery, and uh, her his daughter is uh, a missionary to Guatemala. And they she and her husband, her husband's name is Maurice, uh, became our contact. Well, by the way, all that background was unknown to us when we started this. But uh, Dr. Ulrich, um, when when Joni mentioned our desire, Dr. Ulrich, who had just come back from Guatemala from a missions trip, uh, said, I know a little boy who needs to be adopted. He had been to... San Cristobal, Alta Verapaz, And there was a little boy there who had been abandoned two years earlier by his his grandmother. The story was at the time that his father, his mother had died. His father was a drunkard and uh, could not take care of him. He was... Severely malnourished, she, the grandmother had actually taken him to the local convent, the, and the, nun, the head nun there said, get him to the hospital right away. Guatemala has a socialized medicine, so they took care of him, no problem, but could not take care of any of the other physical problems that he had. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But he was there in the hospital for two years, abandoned by his family. So uh, he, I'll just mention, he was born with club feet. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the tendon, the inside tendon, right on your feet, is too short, and it turns the feet inwards, and Eric was literally trying to walk on the top side rather than the soles of his feet. He was trying to walk on his metatarsals. He couldn't walk by himself, but leaned against an office chair, a rolling office chair, and he'd run up and down the hallways of the, the hospital uh, with this, you know, on the tops of his feet. He was... Blind in his left eye, uh, and poor sight in his right eye. Uh, and uh, that, was a, that was a big concern of ours. And there are a couple other issues going on, too. If you ever look at his uh, left index finger, he only has half of a fingernail. His mother obviously was having problems as she carried him. She died at 26 he, she, he was her seventh child. Which is very typical of that culture. Um, she died when he was nine months old. This We've established that as, as fact. Um, and just of a fever. That's the only thing the medical report said. Um, so she obviously bore him. And had problems after the birth, and and eventually died of it. Um, he um, was severely malnourished, and after when he, when so because she was nursing him, as was is typical of their culture. But when she died, they started him immediately on solid food, and had no his body couldn't accept that right away. So he had a lot of um, problems. As a matter of fact, there are scars on his belly where the local medicine man took a Coke bottle, heated it up in the fire, and rubbed it across his belly, hoping to get the evil spirits out, and uh, actually burned him with a third-degree third degree burns on his belly. So this, is, this was uh, his background. We found out about him through Dr. Ulrich and, and we uh, so we arranged for a um, trip. I went down to Guatemala in January of 96 and uh, just reading over my notes I took a di- I kept a diary during that during this entire process and A lot of details that I'm not going to bore you with. uh, But just how the Lord worked. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Really encouraged me to trust that the Lord was in this. But it ended up... we were trying to find his birth parents so that they could sign a uh, termination of parental rights. His birth father. As it worked out... His birth father found out we were trying to locate him and he came with all the paperwork. And papers mean nothing to the Mayans. They're illiterate people. But he had all his documentation and paperwork provided by the government and he eventually, you know, he willingly signed over. Because we could take care better care of him here in the states than he could. Anyway, after I came back, we realized that Eric's eye problems had to be addressed quickly, um, as it, and so we. I started to work in February of '96 to get him to the United States. So the first place I went to start working with governments is our legislators. So I went to the highest-ranking legislator that we had in the federal government, which is Arlen Spector. Arlen Spector's office contacted the Guatemalan Embassy, and you figure, as being the senior senator from Pennsylvania, he would have a little bit of clout. They thumbed their nose at him. Because of the circumstance that I had previously mentioned. They couldn't have cared less if who it was that contacted them. They were not going to allow uh, us to take him before the adoption was finalized. Another, um, I went to Senator Santorum's office, the same thing. I went to George Geekes' office, and finally, somebody responded. A woman in uh, George Geeka's office took uh, an interest in our case. And she pushed and she suggested that we go, instead of go through, going through immigration, go through the Justice Department and what's called a humanitarian parole. And we started off this process, and it ended up, again, I won't bore you with all the details, how it went up and down and up and down, and we decided not to do it, and then it was de- it was denied, and then it was, you know, all all this rigmarole, because you have to provide, you know, I single-handedly provided the paperwork needs of two federal governments, let's put it that way. Facts is all over the place, and at, at any rate, um, what finally happened, and this is where God started to really work. We had in the in March of that year, a a missionary team came to San Cristobal, and in order to gain the, some publicity and to, to show that she was involved the first lady of Guatemala uh, Patricia Arzu is her name uh, showed up with for photo ops with this missionary team she was introduced to again this is God's providence To the contact, Boris Ramirez, Um, she was introduced to him to lead her through the town. Now, Boris, he's the kind of guy that you love to hate. He is good-looking, athletic. He was on the Guatemalan Olympic soccer team years ago. Mr. Personality... Extremely intelligent, you know. He's the kind of guy that that breaks the curve, you know. But he, everybody in town knows Boris. Everybody loves him. He's a great guy. Just in every possible way, he's a great guy. And he was, and so he was naturally given to her to lead her through the town. Well, he spoke. To, to Senora Arzu and again to make a long story short because I don't want to belabor this too much she decided to take a personal interest in our case the first lady of Guatemala spoke we had to work through the Mexican embassy the Mexican embassy because that's the chief That's the primary embassy for all Central and South America. She interceded for us saying that she would personally ensure that Eric could go to the states, have his eyes taken care of, return to Guatemala to finish the adoption and then we could take him now that's great however how are we going to pay for the transportation costs back and forth and that this this is another theme that goes through my all my, my diary we can't pay to to move back and forth like how are we going to do that well Things continue to, to work. And again, the, the adoption, or I should say the humanitarian parole went up and down and up and down and went up and down. It finally was, was approved. However, the there was another glitch. We had to get Erica a passport. And... How are we going to do that? Again, we had to get uh, Eric's father involved, his birth father. We had to bring him down from San Cristobal to Verapaz to uh, Guatemala City. Guatemala City is about 400 miles through very mountainous terrain. And he had to go to... um, Migración, which is the Guatemalan Immigration Service, to get his passport. Now, I'm I'm sure nobody here has ever been to the Migración building in Guatemala City. Talk about disorganized confusion. We worked and we worked and we worked. The humanitarian parole is only good for a month. We worked and we worked and we worked. And on the very last day that, the, that we could possibly secure a passport for him, Boris was trying to get to see the director of Migration. And naturally, nobody's going to let him in. You know, he's busy. You can't see him, this, that, and the other thing. And he remembered something that his mother in law, Mrs. Ulrich, would say. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do is go home and take a nap. It's like, be still and know that I am God. So that's what Boris did. Went home, took a nap, came back to the Guatemalan embassy. I should say not the Guatemalan embassy, but Migracion. When he arrived late in the afternoon, who should he meet but his cousin? His cousin who works for Guatemalan immigration. But in El Salvador, his cousin was coming back on a uh, task to meet with the director of Migracion. Now, you tell me that's not God's providence. Took him, they met outside. He took him up to see the, the director and he's busy. Bordis is trying to talk to him. And uh, he mentioned that he was a missionary. He was translating the Bible into the Pokemchi language. And he, the guy stopped. said, that's a marvelous work. Told everything about our case with Eric and that man right then and there, secured a passport for Eric. But that's the next step. How are we going to get them back to the states? How are we going to? How we, am I going to go down and get them? Am, or, or are they going? What's going to happen? Mrs. Arzu paid out of her own pocket Eric's travel expenses from Guatemala City to Philadelphia and Boris's round-trip ticket to escort him. The First Lady of Guatemala paying... For this little boy. We have a picture of him. I was going to get all the pictures and maybe we could post them up there, but uh, I'd have to dig a lot. We have a picture of him being, giving uh, Senora Arzu a great big hug. You know, all You know, the big f- photo ops. That is what God can do. but when we go through circumstances and situations and and reversals and problems, and that's what my diary is all about. God had moved in our hearts to adopt this little boy. And we made a decision and a commitment to do it, not knowing how in the world to do a private international adoption. But God worked His perfect work, bringing people in touch with us at the right moment to see this take place. And I could I could continue on with more details. Uh, and even even when we went back to finalize the adoption, um, there were more issues going on. Um, just, just to give you a, a quick c- scenario, one of the things that was, is very typical w- with adopte- adoptees is uh, Migración is well known for trying to find any possible problem with the paperwork so that they can delay knowing that you're a rich American and you can give them a little bit of extra money to make sure that things get the skids get greased. Well, we were in the office of the guy who had the final say as to allow Eric to leave the country of Guatemala. And he's looking through our papers and looking. And I don't speak Spanish that well to to carry on a conversation. So Boris was interpreting for us. And this guy was trying to find anything that he could. And there wasn't a single flaw, even a comma missing. In that adoption paperwork. And I say all that. Not so much to. Give you a story of ancient history. But to illustrate. A very important point. When we commit. To do something for the Lord. There's one guarantee in the whole thing. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to run into obstacles that will seem impenetrable, completely apart from anything that you can possibly do. Does God expect us to respond? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. I think I wrote down the wrong. You can see from the context, though, how does God expect us to respond in faith? Moving forward by faith, knowing that God will work what He has to do. That's what He wants from us. The most the sing, one of the single. Most important verses of all scripture. The just shall live by faith. That's a continuous daily walk, consciously dependent on God to work in our circumstances. This experience with Eric has shaped much of how I view difficulties in, in my personal life and in the life of, of our church, really. When I am confident that I'm walking with the Lord and in the Lord's will, and as Paul says, I know nothing against myself, but I am not here unjustified. If I know that, yeah, I'm a sinner. But I know that I've, I've confessed any known sin. I know that I'm walking consciously with the Lord. I'm not justified by that work. I'm justified by faith in, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But as I move forward, I know I can trust Him. And even though we might see problems, I'm confident that he will work. And let me put this in the context of our church. Moving forward, recently we purchased a piece of property. And the, the board and numerous people confidently affirmed their agreement that the Lord would have us purchase this piece of property with a view to eventually build a building on the site. In his providence, God has seen fit to move people out of our church, partly because of the purchase of the property. Others have other reasons. But we can view these difficulties in one of two ways. We can say to ourselves, people are leaving. There must be a problem. Or we can view this situation as God removing to test our faith, to test our determination and desire to follow Him. For years, Ever since I, I uh, came to this church, we've had one abiding prayer on the board. Lord, do such a great work in this church that you alone get the glory. Psalm one fifteen one. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Much like Gideon, watching all but three hundred men departing his his army to their homes before the battle. So God alone will get the victory. Remember, God always leads his choice servants through deep trials before the victory occurs. Like I said, Gideon lost all but 300 of his men. Knowing he's fighting a tremendous army and God was working in him To develop his faith as he needed it. Because Gideon wasn't all that great, even though he's in the Hall of Fame of Faith, he had his issues. As we all have our issues, we all have problems. And if somebody leaves the church because, well, the leadership's a sinner, okay. Yeah. Guilty as charged. Try to find a church without that. If you want to find a perfect church, there's only one perfect church, let's put it that way, and they're all in heaven. But God will get a victory. God will be glorified as we move forward, showing that we desire To follow him. Lessons for our lives. Number one. The sovereignty and providential control of God over all his creation. Is a truth that scripture teaches throughout. But like all true doctrine. We must never let it become a sterile fact. Void of practical application. What does it mean in my life? How do I respond when difficulties happen? How do we view them? Do I view this when I'm faced with difficulties? Is it an opportunity for me to complain? Is it an opportunity for me to grouse about how horrible life is? Yeah, well, life is horrible, but God is good. We're in a post-Genesis 3 world. God is ever good. How are we going to respond with this truth? Number two, that application must be for us. If we're walking with the Lord and serving him, we can by faith move forward knowing that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, that verse is speaking about the universal church. The universal church is made up, however, of local churches. And it's the local churches that God has to build in order to build the universal church. God has committed himself to building local churches. Do we trust God enough to build us? Do we trust enough to have God use us as we serve him? Number three, if we trust God to build us, how do we show that by faith? By putting ourselves in a position to be used of Him, reaching out to our friends and neighbors with the gospel, teaching the youth and the children, working in the nursery, and a thousand of other opportunities to serve the Lord, are we putting ourselves in a position to be used of Him? That's what faith does. Faith works. How are we working? And then finally, this has been a message for Christians, for people who truly are born again and are walking walking with the Lord. Maybe you are here and you're not 100% sure that you could stand before the Lord and be accepted of him. If that's so. The Lord has convicted you of sin. Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. And what I've done, I'm ashamed to even think of what I've done. That's why the Lord Jesus came that you can be justified not by your good works and cleaning yourself up but by his blood which is shed for you. Take this opportunity now. See me, see Ed, see Mark that we can help you in that decision. Let's pray. Again, our Lord God, you are God And we praise you for it. You've called us to yourself. People who are. A worm and no man. And yet. You. By your. By the handmaiden of grace. Put us in a position. To receive that grace. Now we thank you for it. Now we pray that. You would use us put us in a position to share to be the voice voice of your grace to those around us whether at work or whether it's school or whether in our neighborhood to share that gospel that others might know your grace as well for we pray in Jesus name amen Before was dismissed.